Hey everyone, Ross here. Super excited to be launching season two of the podcast soon. In the meantime, we have a few extra special bonus episodes coming your way. This week, we're sharing a masterclass on how to build a repeatable sales process for early stage startups. It features advice from multi-time VPs of sales at some of the world's fastest growing startups. They share actionable advice on building sales processes that maximize growth and consistency. Want to get notified on new episodes in season two's launch? Subscribe to the podcast here or visit our website at inaccord.com. From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling startups. This season, Accord CEO Ross Rich chats with the next generation of startup founders about the ups and downs of signing their first customers while building a repeatable, collaborative sales process. Uh, masterclass is going to be about how to build a repeatable collaborative sales process at an early stage startup. So we're joined by an expert panel of, you know, VPs, heads of sales. Carol's worked with, you know, dozens, probably hundreds of uh, founders and sales leaders and reps um, at YC-backed and other VC-backed startups. And we're going to be talking all about the learnings that we've gone through in the past decade plus of how to make sure you're building a repeatable sales and onboarding engine. And some of the, the thoughts that we have to share hopefully are helpful for, for what you're building. We have a few guiding questions, but hopefully folks are jumping in with their thoughts, ideas, and questions. We want to make sure that it feels like a very collaborative and engaging masterclass here, not just us talking. So your input's going to be super valuable. And maybe we start off with some introductions. I'll start with myself. So Ross, CEO and co-founder at Accord. Accord's a customer-facing collaboration platform for B2B sales onboarding success to help you build a repeatable and collaborative sales process. And we're joined by, as I mentioned, a number of awesome panelists. Maybe we'll go the other way around. Max, I'll let you kick off with a bit about yourself, where you're at now, and uh, and some of your past experience in, in the startup and sales world. Sure. MZ, Max Zuckerman here. Started my career from the engineering side. Went to Microsoft. I worked at Google. Went to the dark side when I got my MBA over at Stanford. That's how I ended up in the Bay Area. Fell in love with startups. I'm now on my fourth startup where uh, the prior couple I've seen acquisitions, but now I'm at a B2B payments company called Balance, which is focused on the business-to-business world and marketplaces in particular. Awesome. So yeah, if you're a a B2B marketplace looking to scale, definitely check out Balance. And then uh, Josh, how about yourself? What's uh, some of your background and, and what are you working on today? Yeah, thanks, Ross. Uh, Josh Weissman, like I said, I'm in New York City currently. Uh, right now, I work for a company called Northstar. We're a financial wellness company. It works directly with employers to offer financial wellness for all employees across many different facets. Uh, I run all of the revenue teams here at Northstar from sales, customer success, partnerships, SDR teams. And that's really been my background over the last 10 years plus, either uh, companies like Chariot, going through acquisitions, going through several rounds of funding. I really love coming in the early days of basically being the first revenue hire and leader and scaling teams to hundreds of people and tens and tens of millions of dollars of ARR and more. So excited to be here. Amazing. And kind of similar story in terms of uh, being early uh, as the first kind of revenue sales leader. Carol, love to hear a bit about uh, your background to share with the the crew here and uh, what you're working on today. Thank you, Ross. And thanks to everyone for being here. As Ross said, please put your questions in the chat. We want to make this for you, not us. So let us know what's important to you and we'll address it. 
So I've been in sales for over a decade right now. I started out as an accidental founder, and I call it accidental because it was never my intent to start a company. But I'm, I'm normally based in New York. I'm now in Greece, but I started my first company in New York back in 2011. It was a company in the CPG space. And after that company got acquired, I joined my first startup in 2013. Similar to Josh, early founding member of the sales team, that company became acquired. And afterwards, I did that in three other companies, starting early on, helping the company grow and having it bought out by a bigger company. For the past year, I've been working as a consultant. I'm a managing partner at Ramped. We are a boutique consulting firm, meaning we work with early stage founders at the seed to series A stage, helping them build and scale their first sales playbook. We're a YC partner. And at this point, we work with over 100 YC founders. And what we focus on is building out those first processes and teaching founders on how to execute. So super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, appreciate all the intros. Got uh, yeah, a vast array of experience and talent here. So excited to hear your thoughts on some of these questions. So the first question, I think, is a good foundational one as we talk about building a repeatable collaborative sales process at a startup, because there are some prerequisites to that. It's not just, you know, you can dive in, you can hire the sales leader at first salesperson and start winning and start winning deals consistently and repeatedly. I think there's really an important kind of foundation to lay. So the question is, what are kind of some of the more foundational go-to-market questions, company questions that you need to have answered as a sales leader before you can start selling consistently and successfully? So maybe I'll pass it off to, to Josh to kick us off here. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a little bit and then I'm sure Carol and Max will add some more. But I think number one is when you come in early stage, like I've talked about, there's such a wide range of where you can go after. And I think you really need to narrow the focus and prioritization. Otherwise you get overwhelmed. So whether that's making sure you at least start understanding who, what type of customers you should be going after, what segment, what industry, what messaging probably resonates, obviously doing that potentially with contacts or connections up front always helps. And then getting that selling process going is really key. You do from there, you want to make sure that you have some levers in place of what you think success should look like. And I'm sure we'll talk about that throughout this, but you don't want to be in a place where in a quarter or so you aren't hit, you aren't being successful and your board or your CEO or your boss is coming to you saying, why are we not successful? And let's change something. There should be metrics along the way to make sure you're doing that in a fast pace. And I think it's key. A lot of people talk about is failing fast, you need to fail fast, you need to understand what are the bars of metrics for success and then being able to go from there. So at least from a starting point, that's what I look for. Totally. Just to yeah, quickly recap that for everyone. I think you hit on some key things. And something that I definitely got wrong to start or didn't realize how important it was is being more specific early, right? You start off, you're trying to build this big company, you know, high growth startup, you want to take on the world, what's the vision, you're fundraising, and then you really just solve a specific problem for a certain segment with really specific messaging. And sometimes it's super counterintuitive and it feels like you're almost doing the wrong thing. But uh, yeah, if you're not trying things and really experimenting and able to say this works or doesn't, you're not really doing the right stuff. So I think that's a great lesson. So yeah, Carol, what are your thoughts? I was going to finish by saying, if you don't, to your exact point, Russ, if you don't have a, an ICP in mind, at least targeting, I always get very nervous when I start talking to companies that don't at least have something. That could change, of course, but you got to start somewhere. 100%. Yeah, Carol, what are your thoughts? 
So I think Josh absolutely nailed it. And, you know, the way I would, the few comments I would add to this is that when I first started working with founders and their majority, they're technical. So they understand the product and the different applications it may have, but they really don't know where to start. So in order to help them narrow it down, I ask with very simple questions such as, what problem are you solving? Tell me clearly what problem is this, is this product solving, right? In a way that anyone, no matter their industry expertise or knowledge can understand, right? What does your product do? Then the next question is, who does it do that for, right? We talk about ICP, Ideal Client Profile. Whose problem are you solving? And then a couple of questions that come next are, you know, who else is solving the same problem that you are, similar problem, and why or how are you better? And if you get into the mindset of, you know, very simple questions to what am I doing? Who am I doing it for? How am I better or different? You can start crafting your messaging. And not only can you start crafting your messaging, but you know where to look for. You know where to look for those initial people that you can go test out your hypotheses. Totally. Again, sounds super simple, but you'd be surprised how far some companies get. I'll talk to Series A, B companies who are like, yeah, we have these three or four different segments stuff. I'm like, how do you, you know, they don't know how the business is coming in. They don't know the messaging that resonates. Um, so super key to do up front. Max, anything to add? Sure. I feel like Josh and Carol laid out some great strategic thinking around it. So maybe I'll be even a little more tactical. Since mm-hmm. early stage companies I've seen, oftentimes you'll say, hey, are you focused on SMB? Or are you focused on enterprise? And the answer is yes. Well, okay, you need to figure out exactly where you're going. Otherwise, the messaging that you're trying to put out there, the sales process, it has a dramatic effect on how you go to market, depending on who your target customer type is, not just the target customer profile. And I think the second piece I see is because you're chasing everything, oftentimes big customers or medium customers will ask for a specific feature. And early stage, you're thinking, okay, if I can just make this work, I'll get that revenue. But be a little more cognizant of where does that take you next? If what you're building can get you 20 more customers like that, then it's a great idea. But if it's more of a professional service that you're doing and it's not going to help you get the next 20 or 50 customers, just be aware that you're putting your dev time into something that might not help you actually scale the sales process. It just gets you early revenue. And that might be okay in that moment, but just be aware that it's not taking you towards real sales. Totally. There's, I think, uh, something I learned from experience I don't think people talk a lot about is like, the difference between your first five and 10 customers and like your real customers, like people that are excited to work on the problem. They want to work with a startup. They're willing to spend the time. It's awesome. And you need those sometimes called design partners or, you know, product advisory board folks. It's helpful to get further, to get from the idea to like a real potential product or working with someone closely to solve these problems. But like you said, it's very different than selling to someone exclusively who just has that problem and is looking for a solution. He doesn't care that you're a startup, that you're passionate about working on this stuff. And it's very different. So yeah, delineating that I think is, is super important and knowing when you're kind of time's up for that stage as a company, but important for some of those first customers. I think this ties in really well to answer our first audience question here. As a company started remotely in the pandemic, how do you solve the Rolodex problem? As in, even for customer discovery calls, it's been hard to source contacts to talk to. So yeah, without meeting people in person, going around, definitely harder to, to build your network and, and kind of find folks to chat with. Well, I have my thoughts, but I'll put this to, I'll put this to the panel. Anyone want to jump in and, and kind of share some, some thoughts on this? Who's 
Yeah. I'm happy to jump in. So let's see who the question is from so I can address. Oh, it's an anonymous attendee. Okay. So, I mean, it depends on obviously what your product is, right? And who you're selling it to. But selling in person, even before COVID, has been a tiny fraction of my sales efforts. Like when I was selling to SMBs, I would just cold call restaurants. In fact, I've done that, you know, probably half a million times. Right, right now with the startups I work with in B2B, we reach out to people via email, whether it's email drip campaigns, personalization, or LinkedIn is a goldmine for you not only to use your personal network, but to, again, back to the point we just made, figure out, try to narrow down who's the segment of people you want to reach out to and craft the right messaging to sort of get the low-hanging fruit. Who are the people that I assume have the highest pain point for the problem I'm trying to solve. And how can I approach them and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is this something you have a need for? Right? I, I think I think it's a matter of perspective. And I think you can absolutely do it by following the the couple of strategies we just talked about to really figure out who am I trying to address and then use all the resources available online to to go after those people. Yeah, I'll add, Kale, it's really well said, and I think it's spot on. It's a good segue from the first question, which is you're not able to answer this question if you don't have a good understanding of who I'm trying to go after, because you need to understand what type of companies or contexts or industries you're going after. And then from there, who is who is the buyer? Where is this pain point solving? And from there to this exact question is where are these people, where are they located? Where are they hanging out? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they in a certain types of events? Are they part of certain types of newsletters? The more that you can embrace what you are doing and talking and overall comprehending to match who your buyer is, it's crucial. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the HR space. For one, you got to understand how they talk, how they think, what they like to say, what really is their bosses, how are they being evaluated, all those types of aspects. So you need to really understand that. And then from there, you can decide where are they actually located and do they actually, they don't like LinkedIn. They like to be part of these more exclusive newsletters and groups. How do I join those types of segments or how can I start getting in front of these people? They like joining these types of events, whatever it may be, you got to get in front of them. It's so crucial to know what they are. For sure. Yeah. I just added a helpful article kind of tangentially related to both these topics in terms of segmentation and finding those folks. It's about like building these product customer advisory boards, you know, like trying to find people with this expertise that have this problem that'll talk to you about it and work with you. And then just to quickly hit on, the follow-up question here, how do you know your time's up before you start moving from design partners to broader customer base? I think as in pretty much everything with startups, it's very fluid. I think you'll, there'll probably be a mix of, at least for us, it was like we, you know, signed our initial, you know, beta customers and some real customers at the same time and trying to balance both. Some people were getting advice from them. Some people were like testing out how to sell and onboard them, you know, doing a, you know, array of different good or bad jobs with them and learning from both, right? So I think in startups, you're kind of trying to do everything at once. You're trying to sell and onboard your first customers. You're trying to design it with other folks. You're trying to hire the people that have been building the product at the same time, maybe bring on some folks that will help support those customers and design partners. So I don't think there's a point in time, but I think it's pretty. it becomes pretty obvious. And I would say that I think some people will tell themselves a story and look at just the good things and work too long with folks and not put themselves really out there in terms of like launching early. Like, yeah, 
people will spend time. Great names and logos will spend time with you. Maybe they'll even have budget and they'll spend money on you that aren't really your customer. And I think one thing that we found super transformative is, you know, six months before it felt comfortable getting ourselves out there and and launching because it's going to accelerate. You come to kind of a plateau when you're just doing what's out there and the people in your network. As soon as you kind of get more broad, launch on product hunt, share it across your network, find other places and communities to really put the word out, you're going to realize how much you got wrong because those early people that are going to work with you want you to succeed and aren't going to tell you the really bad stuff. Whether or not all that's true or not, you should have those data points. So I think, yeah, launching before and getting yourself out there more broadly before you feel like is ready is going to be the most helpful thing to, to accelerate. So well, some, some awesome questions. So let's move on to the next question of our regular scheduled programming here. So thinking past this stage of company building that we're kind of on with, you know, your first design partners, maybe first sales, et cetera, you know, you're kind of figuring it out as a founder, that first sales leader, and you want to bring on a first sales person. I think this is a huge question that there's a lot of diverging perspectives on. Um, I'm sure we'll have different thoughts and perspectives even in this uh, mini room here is firstly, when do you hire your first salesperson and at what level do you hire them? Max, we'll go back around again. Um, what are your thoughts? When do you hire this first salesperson and what, what level, you know, if you had to make the call, would you, would you consider them bringing them, bring them in on? Sure. I've been that person three times now, so I feel like I've seen kind of the gamut. And I think one of the key elements is how technical is your product? How involved is the sales process? Is it going to require somebody that's had enterprise experience that can work very well at C-suite? Or is it more of a transactional sale where volume is really what's important to you? So I think step one, you as the founder or whomever you think is working with you to do the sales, you've talked to 20 plus people. You can say, okay, if I talk to the 21st, there are certain things I will hear that I already know about. You kind of understand what are the key use cases you might hear about, and you know you can solve at least one or two of them. And you've seen a process go end to end at least once or twice that, to your point, Ross, aren't just your friends. It's somebody that you might have cold called, it might have been a warm intro, but it's still somebody that doesn't have a vested interest in you doing well. They actually have the problem. And if you can pass on that process then to the salesperson, I think if it's a more transactional sale, more kind of regimented and scripted, hire two or three people that are early stage to mid-level and see how they do. Because you don't want to see that the, one of them did really well and another did not do well. Or if you only hired one, they did really well, but you don't know why, because it could have been the process, it could have been the person. So hire a few. And if it's a more advanced sale, you can bring on somebody that's kind of a director of sales level or even higher that's willing to take a step down, knowing they're going to own the team as it grows. If it's a more involved enterprise style sale. So I think it really depends on who your target customer is and what the sales process you have experienced is. Yeah, great insights. And I think what exactly what I was looking for, hoping for, which is like the right answer is it depends. And I think getting to that next level of, uh, of feedback that you shared in terms of the type of deals is, is super helpful. But Josh, I'll let you jump in next year. Yeah, I'm just going to add one more piece. I think it, it's, it all depends. And it's important, especially coming in as, say, the first the revenue or sales leader and figuring out what the team looks like. You got to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are as well. And frankly, for me, whether it's the first tire or even say, as I'm thinking later down the road, six, 10 tire, what am I good at and what do I need support and help with? Uh, the perfect example, which goes a little off of that first question, which I think Max answered well, is from my standpoint, uh, day to day sales manager of sales reps 
and working on Salesforce and updating these things isn't necessarily my forte as much as say sales operations. So there's people that will say, hey, order, uh, hire sales operations before you hire a sales manager. I'm somebody that always does the opposite because I'm confident with my sales ops ability and feel like I can take this team to 10 plus people with my sales ops ability versus the sales day-to-day management ability. That's the way that I think of it. From the first hire perspective, I usually look for someone to help with top of the funnel. If I can handle and know when we're confident and running through the process and we can close deals and I have that ability to now feel confident, can I get somebody to help stack up the top of the funnel? And can we build that? Because unfortunately, if you can't solve, which is one of the questions in the Q&A, you can't solve the top of the funnel problem. You're hiring probably more expensive people to do that mm-hmm. cold calling and do those things that probably aren't as experienced as someone that you could train to do in early standpoint. So my thoughts. 100%. Excited to hear Carol's thoughts on this. But I think just to maybe recap in both of those, what I heard is the same philosophy of it depends both on the type of business segmentation you're selling to, but also yourself. And I think that's a great way of looking at it, right? Like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? We're talking about a team of, you know, 5, 10, 20 at this stage of a company. You should really be thinking about what you bring to the table and what you really need to get to that next stage and who you're bring on next and what you can afford in those trade-offs because you're never going to be able to optimize for everything at a resource-constrained startup. But uh, yeah, Carol, what are your thoughts? So I'm also going to start with, it depends. But, but I'll tell you what. So when I was selling, I was in a very transactional, fast B2C sales environment in all my companies before I started doing B2B. And I would be the first or second or maybe third salesperson, right? But first of all, I would have you know more experience because I had done that. So it was a little more senior. But the key part was that when I joined those companies, there was already a process. There was already a director of sales or a CEO overlooking the team. And there was a script and we had a CRM and we knew our objections and we knew who we were calling and all that was flushed out. Because if you don't have that, it's really hard, no matter how senior the person is, and it rarely happens for them to roll up their sleeves and come in and build processes, right? And often you see that with VPs or directors of sales, they're overworked, right? They come into a new company, they need to hit their numbers, they're running around trying to do that, and while trying to manage the team and build the process, and it's a hot mess. Mm -hmm. So right now, when I'm working with founders, and they're like, hey, Carol, you know, when should we hire for a salesperson? I want to make sure they have that process nailed down. And they know how to get top of funnel. They know how to do a disco, a demo, a close. And they've done that enough. So when they bring someone on, to Josh's point, that person is just there for support because they need to work on the product. They need to help grow the company. But they have an understanding of, hey, we have a repeatable engine here. This is what we do that works, that they can then hand that over to the the AE or the senior SDR to then, you know, build that type of funnel and start taking calls. So, so that's my perspective on that. Yeah, you can't expect someone that you're going to hire at not like either the highest level as the, you know, founder CEO or bring in a super experienced salesperson to solve this type of problem. It is not, you know, hiring a CSM or an SDR, even an AE with, you know, five years of closing experience to solve how do you find your customers and how do you sell to them effectively, right? Like these are core business problems and maybe you aren't the person to solve it yourself and you work with, you know, 
a partner like Carol at Ramped, or you work with an advisor, or you bring in a senior, you know, person like Max or Josh or someone else. But I think a lot of people undervalue the like foundational stuff that we're talking about. And that's not a problem that you're going to hire to solve for. It's a strategic partnership, which I think goes in really well with another question that we have here um, that I'm really excited to hear the feedback from, especially uh, Max and Josh on this is like coming in and partnering with a CEO type. I'm sure I can learn a lot from this answer is advice on prioritizing and working with that CEO sales leader relationship or early rep relationship. Maybe to share a quick thought on my end, I think bringing recommendations is super helpful, being proactive. And I think a lot of people that come into this role might've been from a larger company and maybe like director level and like learned a lot and haven't necessarily been that CRO or like highest level in the sales organization or revenue organization. And I think those people traditionally don't come to the CEO or C-level with like, hey, these are the problems. They're, they're so, they have to solve the ones. There's already a million problems there and they're not coming to them with them. And I think that's really what like I would be looking, I look for, and I think, you know, try to vocalize that, but I'm curious to hear from the other end. Yeah. What you feel like the best way of structuring that relationship and, and kind of working on that, uh, that is. I mean, that's when I, I mean, you have to, that's the key relationship. Number one, you have to really align overall before I even join a company. And I would say whether it's the founder CEO or coming in as the sales side, you have to make sure that that relationship is key and you really align on what your goals are. And to Carol's question or Carol's point before on what are we trying to do here? What is the challenge? Where's the pain points? You have to really align on where we're trying to go. Those things can obviously change, but you have to have alignment from day one. Otherwise you're gonna be doing two different things. From there, I also would say it's what each person is, is great at. What is the type of collaboration that you do wanna have? I think from a, I always love using the CEO and founder perspective to make sure that uh, it is two points. It's what are we doing internally? And then how are we leveraging using that with customers? Internally, it's crucial that they know every single thing that's happening to the base, especially in the early days. How do we steer a ship as fast as possible? It's much easier done from a CEO level than anything else. How do we understand what's happening on the product standpoint? How do we understand what customers are saying? The CEO relationship and the VP of sales, CRO, first sales leader, whatever it may be, every single day. Frankly, I, I talked with the CEO throughout that early stage of the process. So I think making sure that there's alignment, having those daily check-ins, no matter what level to do that. And then obviously leverage that. I'll let Max share more, but leverage the aspect of coming in and also helping with customers too. I still think that's a, that's a one-two punch of having both of you on these early stage conversations and calls to figure this out, as long as you're both comfortable with that. I keep waiting for a moment where one of us says, oh, I totally disagree with that. Here's something better. But it, it's, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that was great, Josh. And I think just the way I approach it is, first of all, take a step back and realize if you are new to the role or new to that type of position, realize that if the CEO brought you on, they've done two things. One, they put their trust in you. They've already said, hey, I think that you can do this job. Now show me. And two, you can't wait for them to give you the playbook of what they want to hear about. It's your job now that they put the trust in you to say, here are the things that I care about and I'm going to be pushing on. And let me share them with you because I think it's going to be valuable for your day to day as well. Sometimes they're focused on fundraising and they need to understand, okay, what's our revenue run rate look like? What's it going to look like next month? Can we actually show some key wins and show VCs what, what our customers are doing? Sometimes they're going to say, okay, we're thinking six months out and we need to start planning and really building the pipeline for this. So focus on what the initiatives are at the time. Sometimes it's short-term, sometimes it's long-term. 
but you bring to the CEO what you think is important for them to think about because they're looking to you to fill those gaps. There's no way they can think about, remember, it's not just you, they have the entire suite of VPs that they're working with. So it's your job to be proactive about what matters. Yeah, I agree. I think the scariest thing as like a CEO and ex salesperson is stepping further away from the customer. And I think the way that I try to kind of frame it in my mind now, seeing the benefit and the leverage you have of adding on sales leaders and sales folks is you actually, yes, you're spending less time with them one-on-one and you don't have the full, you don't have as clear of a sense and that intuition around everything the customer is saying, but it should go back to your company more efficiently. It should get to everyone. I found that a big challenge of I'm getting these things and I'm giving this product, you know, trying to weigh in on the roadmap and it's challenging because I haven't been able to disseminate that information because I'm spending all my time with customers. Whereas if you bring on those first sales leaders and folks, yes, you're personally spending less time on it, but someone is there to spend all their time on both talking to the customers as well as sharing that with the rest of the company. I think that's a really important um, part of that role that they're taking on that isn't discussed a lot. It's the revenue, it's all these things. But if we're talking seed, series A, series B, even seed plus, a large part of your job is moving off the CEO's hands and into yours around customer feedback. And I think that that's something to be more vocal about and, and prioritize and strategize around. And it sounds like that was part of the question too, is you know we're spending less time with customers. So that angle I think is, is super helpful. So um, to your point, I think it's imp- important to be close to it, but not too close where if you're both in the weeds every single day, neither one of you can think outside the box of what's something that's actually not working like that. So I love working with a CEO that hasn't been doing this every single day because I can go to him or her and say, here's where we're struggling. And you're always going to get an outside perspective versus you both being in the weeds every day. You're going to eventually have the same thoughts. Totally. Yeah. Having that partnership of different perspectives and generating that is is a superpower for companies in that in that partnership. So there's two questions that I want to get to. I know we got 12 minutes as well as a handful of audience questions. So we're going to switch back to a couple of the pre-programmed ones. Maybe we'll do one person, one person, then we'll do the rest with the, the Q&A just to make sure we can hit all these awesome questions. And it sounds like we're pretty aligned with some of these answers, um, which I agree is a bit surprising. All right, Carol, for you, we hear this a ton from, I think, founders and sales leaders and all this kind of stuff, is our sales process is in flux. It's new or work on a new segment or what have you. How do we know it's time to start documenting and creating a repeatable process if it feels like it's in flux and not solid? And I think it's this chicken or an egg problem that I don't have an awesome answer for. So curious to hear hear your thoughts on this one. Oh, man. And, you know, I don't think we're going to bless you. I don't think we're going to disagree on this one either. You need to start documenting your process from day one. Because if you're not, there's absolutely no way to know what's working and what's not. And it blows my mind how, I mean, I talk to companies every day, whether it's founders or small sales teams, and we'll get a series A sales team, five, 10 people reach out and say, hey, you know, we have a problem in, you know, our close rate isn't high enough or whatever. And then I'll want to look at what they do. And the majority of them don't have their process down. They don't have their scripts in place. You know, everybody's doing a different thing. They don't really have CRMs. They don't like so many things. And I'm like, well, how do you know what's working? How do you know what's not working? Do you know your numbers? Do you know your daily metrics? 
So you need to start from the beginning, whether you're a founder that's selling, take a piece of paper, write down what you're going to tell your prospect on the phone. If it sounds good and it gets you a sale, do it again. If it doesn't work, change it up. I know it sounds very simplistic, but to your early point, a lot of these things are simple. You just have to get into the, I don't know what the right word is, I guess into the mentality of of documenting and really treating it as a scientist. This is a test for me to see how I can grow this, right? There's no wrong answers, but you need to be really diligent about how you're going about it. Totally. It reminded me of what we were talking about at the very beginning about like having a hypothesis and testing and failing and experimenting. It's the same thing with product. And I don't know why there's this block in startups around the difference between building sales and go-to-market and R&D. It's the same thing. You have a hypothesis, you invest resources in it, and you go out and test and you iterate from there. Like you said, what works, what doesn't. But if you don't have a clear hypothesis, if you're not working on something specifically, you're never going to learn from it or, or not as fast. It's going to be very intuition-based. So I think that's a really, really good point. And uh, I think maybe hitting two birds with one stone here, someone asked, you know, starting from day one, how do you build a playbook together? I mean, obviously my book would be doing it via Accord, but honestly, it could be a Google Doc, a sheet, a Notion page, like literally anything. Write the thing down. What do you say at certain stages? And even that I found to be such a huge aha moment for sales leaders and founders. Oh shit, we're saying all this stuff then? We're sharing this resource then? Like you don't get it when you're in the moment. And when you take a step back and you write it down, you're probably going to get more learning from that than, you know, 10 more repetitions and deals that you're not going to win learning. So, so Josh, I think you're going to jump in for something too. No, you, I mean, spot on, right? I think you need to really be able to understand if you document all this, the good and the bad, to Carol's point, you got documenting the bad is important too, because you should be, especially as people continue to join into your company, they should see what didn't work as well. Ramp goes by faster, but to the point of documentation, whether a cord, et cetera, you also need to understand where deals are struggling and making sure that you can change that. Uh, and I think the companies that don't have clear documentation of we're doing X, Y, and Z at this stage, we're doing this then, can have a really tough time of understanding when deals are not coming through and we're not winning, why? Which is the number one question people ask. Why is this not happening? If you don't have the documentation, it's really tough to understand when and why. Totally. And then to, to round out, jumping into the last question that I'm, I want to make sure we hit before we go to the Q&A, and Max, maybe I'll let you jump in here, is it's a question I get a ton from sales leaders trying to figure out when they're scaling their first handful of reps. What training and tactics do you recommend for teaching reps to truly dig into and sell value rather than just showing features? And I think this is common, especially startups have to, you can't hire 10, 10 year experienced reps, right? You need to find people that are scrappy, that are going to figure stuff out, you're going to have a variety of, of different experience levels. Curious to hear how you think about um, up-leveling the team instead of falling into the just the inevitable pit of selling and talking about features instead of problems and solutions. This is literally the question I was hoping you wouldn't start with me on. So I love that you, you've managed to find the exact one I didn't want to do, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. I think the most success I've had is finding the best people on the team and recording their sessions with customers and then having new people watch those religiously and emulate what they can. 
and also learn from the other people that they respect their methods. You're going to have to infuse your own style, of course. You can't always be the other person. But I think understanding the types of questions they ask, the way they try to guide a customer, that helps you get the baseline. To get a step above just being transactional and being a robot and following that script, though, you have to actually have an intellectual curiosity. You want to understand what the businesses you're working with are doing. And I'm coming from a place where all of my sales have been very technical, very consultative. Like I've never really done a pure transactional type sale. So take this with a grain of salt. You have to be a trusted advisor to a customer. And in order to do that, you have to understand their business. So instead of going to them with, hey, I have X feature, Y feature, and W feature. Do any of these do anything for you? I really like what Carol said in the very beginning, it's like, what problem are you trying to solve? And, and you know, what does this do for your business? Uh, one of my favorite quotes back in my early Microsoft days, and maybe this will show my age, maybe you guys have heard it, people don't buy drills, they buy holes, right? So you need to figure out what is a business actually trying to achieve and get your people to think about that strategic level when they have a conversation rather than looking for a specific feature or for a specific moment in time. Like figure out the overall solution that the company is looking for. And they'll look at you as an advisor rather than somebody that's just selling them something one off. Yeah, the, I think that's the, how do you transition the mindset from this is the thing you're buying to this is the problem that we are solving through this unique solution. You have questions of how it yeah. works. Okay, because it's a new thing we're bringing to market. That's part of the process. It's part of the process. Whereas I think sure. people that are coming into sales early in their career is that they think people are talking to them about buying the thing. They're not asking you questions about buying the thing. They're asking you questions about making sure you understand what am I dealing with? And does this thing uniquely solve that? And generally how? And yes, later in the process, or you can ask, answer questions up front. I hate when people push off the detailed questions to the end because you're building trust and showing that you understand their problems through, they probably have a better sense than you do about the other things they've tried and talking about that. So I think that's a great, great perspective and kind of reframing. Yeah, let's do some rapid fire questions um, on the Q&A. Maybe we'll try to keep them each to a minute here. So if you want to just, panelists, if you want to just pull up the Q&A here, pick one that you like. Um, maybe we'll start with uh, with Carol and we'll do one each, um, just like 45 seconds a minute on whichever one is uh, is speaking to you. There's a lot of really good ones here. Oh man, uh, these are great. I wish we had more time to go through these. I'll try to be <laughs> super fast. So I'm looking at, do you have a rule of thumb for how much ARR a startup needs to have from founder-led sales before looking for a first sales hire. Typically with the companies I've worked at, we look at about a million ARR just because. I think we're all shocked. I think we're all shocked that you said a million before you make a sales hire in ARR. Did, did you expect less or more? <laughs> oh, far less from what I've seen. Yeah. Like, like a hundred K would be at the higher side of ARR for mm -hmm. the first sales hire. And I'll tell you why I'm saying this. So the people I work with that, you know, I, I take from zero to a million and I, and I, you know, work with them before we make sales hires to get to that point, they have very technical products. They're selling to VPs of engineer. They're selling to CTOs. So they really need to master their their sales they need to build that sales intuition they need to get a lot of reps under their belt they need to close those deals they need to understand every step of the process and we're talking about 
you know, annual contracts of anywhere from 50 to 100K. So if you think about it, that's, that's not a lot of deals. So I want them to get there before they bring on uh, someone more junior to take care of top of funnel and also take care of those sales for them. It depends on the product, but again, with the clientele I work with, B2B technical founders, uh, I typically look for them to get to a million to have a clear understanding before they bring someone on. I'm going I'm to say the disagree, finally, and only because I think you, you have a good disclaimer there, which I think is important. They will have clarity if they've done 10 to 20 deals. I agree with you on that. But they won't have the bandwidth to do that if they're in a high growth startup that's trying to really attack the market. I think if you're waiting until a million ARR and you're you, Mr. CEO or Ms. CEO, are the, the only person doing it, I think that you're impeding your growth potentially. Now, maybe these are much higher ACV deals in the future. And like if if your first few deals are like 500K, 700K, and you got to do only like two or three to get there, totally with you. But if we're talking 50K ACV to 100K, I think you can hire a little bit earlier, in my opinion. I'm glad we have our first disagreement. Yeah, we don't agree on everything. Ross, I don't know if we have time for another question, but I was just looking at one that I'm I'm passionate about. Maybe we, maybe we disagree on this one, but from Karen about how you feel about free versus low cost when you're trying to get customers to pilot your product. I'm a big proponent. I I don't think people value free in my perspective. Uh, So I've never offered anything for free, even in the early days, because I usually don't get the reception. I usually don't get the follow through. I usually don't get the commitment from that client up front. So even if it's low cost, whatever it may be, I have some cost associated with it. So people can then see value associated with it. And usually people just, if it's too low or even free, people don't value it. People think this is too good to be true. You're not going to actually offer these things. So um, my thoughts of not offering for free. Price is a reflection of value. It's a psychological proven thing. I agree. But I will say in terms of design partners at the beginning, if we're talking real customers, I totally agree. If you just need to talk to some people and say they're at a company and it's like, oh, I need to do budget, then you're adding complexity to them, but they're excited about it at the very, very beginning, kind of some of the earlier stuff we were talking about. But uh, all right, to wrap it up, because I know we said expectations for everyone. I'm sure everyone has a million things to do today, kicking off the year, closing some deals, ramping some folks at their companies. Appreciate everyone joining. There's a lot of awesome questions still out there. Feel free to hit us up, reach out. Um, should also mention that I think pretty much everyone here is hiring on the go-to-market side as well. So if you know you're inspired by the leadership that was here, feel free to, to reach out to them. We've linked to everyone's LinkedIn profiles and all of our emails and LinkedIn posts. So that's available. And again, thanks everyone for joining. I learned a ton. I thought this was super fun to, to think about and reflect on some of these big questions and uh, hope everyone gets to, to join for next time. But analysts, appreciate you taking time out of your busy days to join. And everyone in the audience, thanks for the super thoughtful questions. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ross, for hosting. Appreciate it. Welcome. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone, so much. Bye. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership, where we dive into building startups, signing customers, and scaling collaborative, repeatable sales processes. For more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.